0: Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television, join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, did Home Alone, Roland John Hughes' career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Liz Feldman landed her first running opportunity at the age of 16 on the Nickelodeon series All That. Years later, she got involved with The Groundlings and Second City, eventually meeting her manager and stepping into a career as a screenwriter. Feldman has credits for working on The Ellen DeGeneres Show, writing for the Oscars, One Big Happy and Two Broke Girls, but she's also the creator of the new hit series Dead to Me for Netflix. The series stars Christine Applegate and Linda Carlini. In this interview, Feldman discusses what she learned writing jokes for Ellen, what it means to be a perfectionist in the writer's room, the difference between a great writer and a decent writer dealing with rejection and the importance of finding comfort, being vulnerable. If you enjoyed this interview, look for the print version and our first interview with Liz Feldman over on creative screenwriting's website. And also look for the new YouTube video essay series where we dissect films, series, and more.
1: I was always really enamored of entertainment, even as a small child, um, I knew that I wanted to be, you know, in and around this business so much so that at the age of 10 I asked for an agent for my birthday from my parents. Uh not at all aware that that's just not how it works, but um I started acting when I was a a, a child. Um I grew up in Brooklyn, so I had access, you know, to the city and I would answer ads in backstage magazine and um then when I was 16 I started doing stand up. Um And pretty quickly, I started writing jokes for other uh, young comedians, uh, like literally kid comedians. And um, from there, I was, you know, kind of, quote unquote, discovered by uh, Nickelodeon. And um, I got a job uh, offer to write and perform on their so-called All That uh, in 1995. And much to my mother's dismay, instead of going off to college, I moved down to Orlando, Florida to work on all that. Um, it wasn't a job I was looking for. I wasn't even, you know, necessarily aware that I was being considered for it. Um, I wanted to go to college, but I couldn't pass up the opportunity to get my career started. Um, and that's, that's sort of how it all began. I, I wasn't thinking I was going to be a writer. It, it sort of found me.
0: What was your experience like? Was that like a, a miniature SNL or what was it like being on that? Did you get actual some fundamentals that you still use today?
1: Um, you know, to be honest, I can't say that I learned anything really about writing on that show. Um, it, was a, it was a difficult experience. Um, I was 18 years old. Literally, I was a month out of high school um, and I moved to Orlando, Florida by myself. Lived in my own apartment, had my own car, didn't even really know how to drive. So you know, it, it was a lot. Um, it was a it was a lot to sort of learn in a quick period of time, um, a lot to adjust to. Um, you know, honestly, I, I didn't have a positive experience for the most part, especially in the writers' room. Uh, it, I was the only female writer. You know, I was very young, and there was definitely an element of misogyny and, you know, sexual harassment that I had to deal with, uh, at a very young age, um, which, you know, honestly turned me off from writing, uh, and made me think, boy, if this is what it's like, I don't want to be a part of it. So unfortunately my takeaway from that job was, I don't think I want to be a writer because, you know, this isn't the environment that I want to be in. So, Um, You know, I actually stepped away from pursuing writing for many years after that, uh, just because of of what a bad taste in my mouth Um, that got the left.
0: Was there a point when you found maybe a positive female mentor or someone that kind of could guide you, you know, on the path that you ended up on?
1: You know, I I was really lucky um, in that when I, after college, I moved out to Los Angeles um, right away. And um, got involved with the Groundlings and the Second City, and you know, started to find my own community. And and through that, you know, and 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 just sort of through kind of like sometimes what felt like just like kind of tenacity, um, I was able to get a manager. Um, my manager's name is Christy Smith. We started working together when I was 24, and she was 25. And we still work together today. She's also the executive producer of Dead to Me. So 18 years, we've been working together. Um, And I can't say that she's a mentor because we're the same age and we kind of, you know, we came up in this business together. We have grown up, you know, um, in entertainment side by side. And in, in many ways, you know, she's been my kind of constant and my guide as much as perhaps sometimes I've been hers, you know, through the business. So she's definitely one person I, I look to as, as a person, you know, who, who has helped me along the way, um, you know, to become the the person and the writer I am today. You know, I was also really lucky to get to work for Ellen DeGeneres um, who had been an idol of mine and still is. Um, and I, I got to, I started working on her talk show, um, when I was in my late twenties and, you know, I was a little bit at a, at a crossroads as to what kind of, you know, what I wanted to do in this business and what kind of writer I wanted to be and what I wanted to put out there and, you know, um, you know, what my voice was, I, I was, I was still sort of in that process and. I was really lucky because, you know, we just happened to have sort of a simpatico thing about us and, and, you know, or at least that's what i like to think. And, um, you know, she was incredibly generous with me um, in terms of, you know, sort of taking me under her wing a little bit, whether she kind of realized it or not, and just always pushing me to become a better writer, a better joke writer, not to settle just for something that's fine, when you could mine the material for something that's great. And I learned a tremendous amount from working with her. Um, you know, many of the sort of building blocks of my ethos as a writer, um, as a boss, you know, as a, as a showrunner comes from the work ethic that I learned uh, while working with her.
0: It may not be simple to answer, but is it is it mainly just time, like putting the time in to make an individual joke better or an episode better and those kind of things?
1: In daily talk show television, which, you know, is is a totally different beast because time is, is, is not a thing that you really have. Um, you know, the way that it worked, at least when I was on the show, if I was writing the monologue that day, you know, we'd present her a version of it, uh, or at least we'd start talking about it about eleven a.m. And there was very little time to then, you know, flesh out the monologue, you know, write write it entirely, show it to her, and then you know she would make she would mark it up, give her notes, and always with me would, you know, hone in on one or two jokes and say you can beat that, and uh, oftentimes if not every time I literally would have to run like sprint back to my office to get behind my computer and just quickly think about how I could beat this joke. You know, so it certainly was like a real pressure cooker. Um, You know, it wasn't about like, Oh, let me take a few days to think about this. It was just like, what else can you come up with in this very short period of time that has anything to do with the subject matter? Um, you know I, and i'm i'm i was maybe well suited for it because i come from an improv background um and you know having to sort of think on my feet um you know is something that i've had to do uh for so many years so i think you know that that probably put me in a in a decent position to be able to do that job but um you know i think it's really about pushing yourself to dig deeper into you know your own sort of uh, perspective on whatever subject matter you're writing about. Like, you know, I, I, I think, especially, like, if you're a talented person and you say, okay, we're gonna, today we're gonna write a monologue about, you know, moths, uh, you know, like, you could probably come up with a, a bunch of jokes about moths. But, you know, I, to me, like, the difference between great writers and decent or good writers. Is that they're never satisfied? You know, they just continually work at it and etch away. Um, you know, at the joke, at the at the at the dialogue, at the monologue, um, to to see what's really the best possible version of this. And you know, Ellen is a perfectionist, and and so am I. And I think of anything she she gave me permission to be like that.
0: I spoke with um, Mike Reese, who who writes The Simpsons, and he he wrote for Johnny Carson 30 years ago. We spoke last week, and I think it was like maybe five of 300 jokes they wrote for Carson he would actually choose from. Yeah. And with your stand-up, like, what's kind of the—I mean, I'm sure it's a similar percentage. And what, how do you deal with some of that as far as—I mean, obviously, when you get the joke right, it's amazing. But some of the rejection, and the same with failing at stand-up, like, any advice for people that are trying to get through that— those hurdles in the beginning, how to deal with some of that rejection.
1: I think you have to accept that rejection is just going to be a part of, of your career. I mean, a huge part. Um, it's going to be the majority of it, you know, and I know a lot of talented people who kind of realized pretty quickly while trying to pursue a career in this business that they just didn't quite have the skin thick enough to take that rejection. And I don't think everybody does. You know, I don't think, I don't think everybody, you know, has the wherewithal to just constantly put yourself up to somebody else's judgment. And it it, it is a really, it is a really uh, vulnerable thing to keep doing. Um, And I think as a, as a writer in this business, as an artist in general, like you just have to, you have to be comfortable being somewhat vulnerable. And um, I mean, you know, it's almost a cliche. It is a cliche to say I've heard no more than I've heard yes. I mean, of course I've heard no more than I've heard last. Like, it's a, it's just a daily occurrence, you know, um, in this business. And I think, you know, I'm definitely buoyed by the fact that everybody goes through this. You know, the the people who I admire the most, the, the creators, you know, the writers, the actors who I think are the top of their game, you know, they've all... Have their misses, you know? They all didn't get that job or that part. You know, it happens to everyone. Um, and I think, you know, there's a there's a book called The Four Agreements that I often try to like, you know, think about and, and just sort of remember. And you know, one of the Four Agreements is don't take anything personally. And it's really hard to do that sometimes because you know, so often rejection feels personal, but it just never is. It's just generally always about the situation you know, the broader kind of politics and, you know, just whatever's up front it. really has nothing to do with your ability or your talent or whatever. So that's how I try to handle that. And, like, you know, of course, like, you know, when I was writing, um, I've written for the Oscars on, on several occasions, um, which was, you know, really fun gig, but, like, you know, I probably wrote 200 jokes and maybe three of them were used, you know. Maybe. So you just sort of go, oh, my God, I got three jokes on the Oscar."
0: But uh, I mean, at the same time, though, I've heard, you know, people, a lot of stand-up comedians and like Conan O'Brien have said that just a little bit of praise from someone he looked up would kind of carry him through. Like, just like like you said, I got three on there. That's like almost enough. That's enough positive to keep going, not all the rejection.
1: Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, a little goes a long way, you know, it's like, it's, Uh. it, it can really buoy you, Um. you know, for, for it's, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's true. I mean, like, because also, I think about now, like, being in the position that I'm in, like, I try to remember, like, you know, like, if, if I think some somebody's doing good work, like, I need to tell them because I know how much it will mean to them. I know how much it's been to me um, in the past. And, like, yeah, knowing, you know, knowing that, you know, Ellen thought I was doing a good enough job on her talk show to ask me to write for the Oscars, like, was a huge boost of confidence, you know? Um, you know, Michael Patrick King hiring me to write on Two Broke Girls, you know, a writer who I so admire from Sex and the City. I thought, oh, God, wow, he might think I'm decent, <laughs> you know. Those are all definitely things that that you know kind of carry us through, you know, um, and also just give us you know self confidence.
0: Well, now that you're kind of on the other side, you mentioned you know passing the the praise down and that kind of thing. But what do you look for um, in, in the writer's room or when you're hiring people to work with you? What are some of those things that you look for?
1: You know, I think it, sometimes it depends on you know. What season we're in, what the show is. Um, you know, I would say in general, um, I look for people who pop out to me on the page. You know, it's like you read the writing first before you meet person. and it takes a lot, you know, for the words on the page to really uh, three-dimensionalize themselves. You know, it, it takes it takes a certain caliber of writer to do that. And uh, especially in comedy, you know, it's, it takes, you know, comedy writers, people in comedy are like the worst audience for comedy because, you know, we see every joke coming. And so like, if, if I'm reading somebody's script and I'm, and I laugh out loud, like, I'm most likely going to sit down with that person <laughs> and, and want to meet them. Um, you know, so, so that's first and foremost. And then when I sit down and meet the person, you know, I, I'm, I'm a people person, so, so people's energy is really important to me, and how I vibe with that person is super, super important, not just to me, but to the dynamic in the room, so I really have to feel comfortable with the person, like, honestly, it's, it's, um, it becomes, like, do I want to be around this person for 8 to 10 to 12 hours a day, um, and, you know, that's just a mixture of personality, you know, that's, that's, on me as much as it's on them. So, um, you know, there's that. And then just in terms of sort of qualities that I look for, is like, I'm a, I'm a pretty hardworking person. I'm a very hardworking person and I really respect and appreciate hard work in other people. Um, You know, there are a lot of really talented writers who don't have to work that hard and have had careers just because they're so talented, um, you know, that they can a little bit, phone it in, you know, sometimes in a writer's room and still be okay and still get that next job. You know, I'm looking for the person to work incredibly hard, even though the show is doing well, you know, or, you know, like what, what, the person who's like always wanting to beat that joke, you know, the, the, it always sort of goes back to that, you know, those days for me of like, this could be better, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm definitely drawn to writers also perfectionists who also want things to be as good as possible. Um, you know, who keep asking hard questions, um, and you know, who are kind and enjoyable to be around.
0: See, so um, I know you spoke with, uh, creative screenwriting last year as well, or in the last couple of years as well. Um, I want to add to some of those questions, just as a reminder to you, you mentioned kind of pitching the entire idea for, the, for Dead to Me, rather than just like the pilot episode or the premise, something like that. What are some of the benefits of that? I mean, probably the most famous is J.K. Rowling supposedly had the entire idea for all of the Harry Potter series before she wrote the first book. But what did you find beneficial as far as, you know, having it all on paper or at least all outlined?
1: I did have a lot of this, a lot of the first season um, figured out because I had to because you know that's what it takes you know to sell a show especially to Netflix. Um, you know I think it's 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 a good exercise you know to to try to visualize your show far into the future. You know I think it is a really good um, kind of jumping off point to 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 force yourself to find the legs of the show before you're asked to, you know, if, if you are hoping that this show can be, you know, a multi-season show, it's incredibly useful to think about what those seasons could be ahead of time because it helps shape your vision, you know. And for me, with Dead to Me, I, I I'm I am I don't even know quite how it came to me in the way that it did, but it, it, as soon as I sort of got the initial concept of the show in my mind, the rest of the rest of that first season kind of, kind of fell into place for me pretty quickly. Now, part of that is because it had to. I was going to be pitching it, and I had to say something. Um, but it was extremely helpful in terms of, like, even figuring out what characters are going to be really essential. You know, you can come up with a bunch of great characters that sound great, and that you can pitch because you can think of a pithy thing for them to say, oh, I I know somebody like that, and that's great. But a lot of times what happens is you'll pitch a bunch of characters in a pitch, uh, and then when you go to write the series, you realize, oh, you know, I don't really need that. I'm not really quite sure what function that person serves, you know, this tertiary character. I don't really know how to build stories around that person. I don't know if that person's really helping our main characters, you know, um, tell their story. So... It's helpful in terms of like really thinking about how you're generating your stories and who is helping you do that. Um, it was certainly helpful to me.
0: There's a lot of, obviously, there's a lot of twists and turns in this show, and all shows today are kind of expected to have big moments every episode, not just the season finale. Um, what are some of the challenges of that? Do you, you feel like, like this show, especially, there's multiple things unveiled, and you kind of mentioned your comedy—you can always do a little bit better. Is that—is that also your process for plotting a series like this?
1: I mean, I think, I think it would perhaps be a bit of a of a pitfall to try to just come up with a story that just simply outdoes the last story um you know what i what i really try to do is put myself in the situation of the characters at every uh point and think what would what would really happen based on the characters that we have created based on these people who you know we have been evolving over these you know this first season and now the second season um and certainly it is really fun to think of the twists and turns you know in, in part um that's why I wanted that's how sort of how I came up with dead to me in the first place is because I just was yearning to tell a story that was a little bit more complicated, you know, than, than comedies are often allowed to be. Um, so, but it is a, it's a really interesting point to, to say like your con, I was, you know, like, that. I've learned to sort of constantly challenge and, you know, hopefully beat, you know, my last joke with a better joke. Um, and I think, you know, it's certainly, like, there's a challenge in creating new twists and turns, you know, with every episode. But, you know, we really do try to do it as organically as possible. Like, we don't come up with the twist and then figure out how to get there. You know, we, we, we really start from a place of, like, what are these characters really feeling? What are they going through? And what would they really be wanting and trying to, you know, achieve in this moment? And so often, that really does lead you um, to the place where where the the twist or the turn kind of reveals itself. You know, there I always like want to be able to answer the question like, would this character really do this? Is this is this you know twist or turn coming from, you know the 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 authenticity of this character? And the answer always has to be yes.
0: I've heard these uh this type of story recently described as a two-hander where you've kind of got two protagonists. Um h- how do you start to balance that out? Is there always, you know, two A storylines or how do you kind of look at it as far as the season?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the great freeing things about writing uh streaming television is that I don't really have to think of and this is this is probably controversial for your free for your um magazine, but I don't really think about you know a story, b story, c story. I don't think about structure in the traditional way, um, which is not to say that structure isn't important. But you know, I, I I had to adhere to such a specific formula and structure for so long writing network television, you know, that I, I really I, I I understand it on a pretty deep level. It's kind of in my bones, you know, and so one of the Kind of draws of you know making a show for Netflix is the sort of not just the artistic sort of freedom, but the the sort of structural freedom. So, you know, we were not too concerned in the writers' room, of like, okay, well, we need two A storylines. Like, you know, this is going to be A A B B. You know, we don't we don't even have that kind of language um, uh, in the writers' room. It's 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 really more. What is, like, you know, we obviously think about, like, you know, what is the the sort of, what is the unifying element of the episode, and what would that mean for both of our characters, um, and, and what does that mean for them together, uh, and and when we approach it like that, you know, the story kind of just unfolds itself, and sometimes, you know, it's a little bit more Judy-heavy, and sometimes it's a little bit more Jen-heavy, Um and we just sort of allow it to be organic in that way.
0: What's kind of the north star in that? Is is it a, a final episode, or, or like what's something? Is it just, or is it just the way the character moves and reacts? Like, what where, what where, where do you always go if you go too far off track?
1: We always go back to their relationship. For for Dead to Me, the north star is is this friendship between Jen and Judy. Um, And um, ultimately, I think that is why people, um, you know, one of the reasons why people, you know, have really taken to the show is based on the strengths of their relationship and based on sort of like the aspirational nature of this friendship. Um, And so we always try to, every episode should have some reflection of that.
0: Do you have any um, last-minute advice if you, if you were kind of breaking into the industry today as a, a comedy writer or as a television writer, uh, young female? Any advice you might pass along?
1: You know, I'll, I'll give advice that that uh, that, I, that was given to me um, that I only am like now at forty-two years old, like really starting to understand, was profound advice. Um, when I was about 20, 20 years old or 21 years old, I I went to go see Ellen speak um, at like a weird, like a strange panel kind of thing. I, I don't even remember what the, you know, why it was happening. I just remember that it was happening. I saw an ad and I was like, oh, my God, I get to go see Ellen speak live. But um, her show had just been canceled for, for sitcom. Um, it was like about 1998 at the time, and I absolutely worshiped her, and, you know, was so excited to be hearing her speak, and then at the end of this panel, we were allowed to kind of line up and, you know, shake her hand and say hello, and um, what was interesting is uh, she said in the panel, somebody said, asked her the same question, do you have any advice? And she said, uh, don't try to be the next so-and-so, just try to be the first you. And I thought that was so profound to me at the moment because of course I was very much thinking, Oh, I want to be the next Ellen, you know? Um, And as as, as sort of embarrassing as that is to admit, just it's so, you know, dorky, but, (laughs) um, you know, I, I took those words to heart and, and, you know, I did, I did get to meet her. Um, and I, I did say to her when we met, you're the, you're Carol Burnett and I'm Vicki Lawrence and you don't know that yet. And she was like, what? What do you, what do you mean? I mean, you think I'm going to get another show and like, you know, put you on it? And I was like, yep, sounds good, Cm. I had, I mean, like the balls that I had at, you know, that age are, are much larger than the ones we have now. And the but what's interesting was that, like, I, I, I listened to her. I remember her saying, you know, don't try to be the next anyone. Just try to be the first you. Um, and I don't think I necessarily really followed that advice for many years. Um, and I think when I allowed myself to tell a story like that to me, um, which comes from a really personal, you know, but vulnerable place inside of me, you know, including subject matter that I would certainly rather not talk about. But when I, when I sort of force myself to go there, you know, I think my best work has come out and that's the advice I would give is like, be true to yourself. Like, don't try to write the next, you know, dead to me, look inside yourself and, and go to the place that makes you uncomfortable and vulnerable and mind that. You know, right from that place, because that's yours. You know, only you have that story. Only you have that feeling. Um, And, you know, there is an audience for it. And
0: that is our show. Thanks again for tuning in. If it's your first time, make sure to hit that subscribe button on SoundCloud or iTunes. Also check out the new video essay series on YouTube called Creative Principles. And give us a review. That's one of the best ways to help share these interviews. Thanks again.